that. So I, I, I think I know all your names now. <laughs> That's good. Well, it is uh, good to be. It is good to be at Wooden Valley Baptist Church tonight. Uh, and I, honestly, I don't. I know people say this whenever they go visiting places, but um, walk, just walking in the doors feels like coming home uh, in a very real way. And so I'm thankful for that. And church, I. I don't think you know what it means to, uh, to church planners, to people who are in ministry here in the local area, not just to see your testimony, and of course the testimony of your pastor who's been faithful, but to know that there's a place here that's solid, a place that's consistent, and that we can come here and be so refreshed and so encouraged. And I'm thankful for that. thankful for the unique relationship I've had with Wooden Valley, uh, just the way the Lord worked it out, being able to teach and how that grew friendships and bonds and people I went to school with. It's just a very, very, very special church, and I thank you for that. I um, just wanted to give you a very, very quick uh, minute update on Emerald City Baptist Church and how things are going. And just by a show of hands, how many people in here have been part of the service, a service, at Emerald City Baptist Church? Just by a show of hands. Okay, so looking around the room, that's, uh, that's a good chunk of people. And thinking about it, we've had less than 10 services, less than 10. And we've had so much support from Wooden Valley come out and uh, just, just to be there. And I, <laughs> you don't know what it means to have people at church until you don't have people at church. And it's like, whoa. If people, I talked to your pastor about this, and I, I don't know how much he has told you, but if we, if as a church planner, the first couple services, if you have people just come in and sit there, and it could almost be a corpse. I'm like, I, it's somebody to preach to. It is, it is awesome. It is encouraging. Today, the uh, Costas were there, and we had a good day. Today, actually, this is what I'm excited to share with you. We had a visitor from, now he's coming to West Seattle. He's moving into the neighborhood, and he was contacted by Pastor T.J. Wilder. Anyway, long story how it came about, but he said, you're going to West Seattle. You need to go to Emerald City Baptist Church. And so he came today, and the reason that's so amazing is because we haven't had anybody from the neighborhood yet. So I was just bouncing up and down. Uh, excited about that. His name, his name is Joel, and he came in, and then afterwards, he just connected. He just clicked with us. He stayed with us as we tore down, and then we went out and grabbed a burger afterwards. He, uh, myself, and the Baldessares, the family that's helping us start, and while we were doing that, the, of course, in Seattle, there's no room. There's no parking. There's no table space anywhere, so I said, hey, let's go to my apartment, and we'll eat on the roof. And so we were up there, a beautiful day, uh, overlooking Seattle. Some of you have been there. It's just an amazing view. And we were talking and fellowshipping, and he is so already gung-ho and plugged in, wondering how can we, this is good, this is exciting. We were outside on the rooftop, the patio. Inside, there was a birthday party going on. And so whenever we finished, we wrapped up. We were on our way out, and he went inside to the party, and I assumed it was just to let them know, hey, the table we were using is open because they had a bunch of people in there, so you know, feel free to go out. But actually what he did was he went inside to this huge group of people, this visitor, and he said, hey, all of you, are you from here? There's a church down the street. You all need to go there. And I was like, well, that's a pretty good member right there from the very start. Oh, man, it was such a good, such a good day in the Lord's house. And so thank you for your prayers. Uh, it's encouraging to see the Lord uh, just, just work and move, and it's entirely Him. It's entirely Him. So if you have any questions about how church is going, I'll, I'll be here tonight. I'm happy to explain to any of you, and I invite all of you to come out, of course, during the rotation and how you guys have it set up, but you need to come see it. You just, you, I, that's the only thing I can say. You need to come see it for yourself. 
Luke chapter number one. Luke chapter number one is where we're going to be tonight. And uh, pardon me if I sound kind of weird. Like, I don't remember Brother AJ having a lisp. I had a tooth taken out this week. And that's, uh, I got, I, well, actually, I got sick, got a tooth taken out, and then Invisalign all at the same time. So uh, I'm, I'm not contagious. Don't worry about that. But I do sound funny. And I feel like I'm going to spit all the time. So it's what it is. Uh, Luke chapter number one. When you find Luke one, go ahead and stand with me. And we're going, Emerald City Baptist Church has already begun, we've begun our first series, and it's going to be in the book of Luke. And Lord willing, the way I kind of see it, um, praying about it, is we'll preach Luke and Acts right afterwards. And the whole, I'll I'll give you the whole two-year series right now, Luke says Jesus Christ is the Savior, and then Acts shows that it needs to go to the whole world. And so the title is going to be Luke, uh, or sorry, Christ the Savior to all people. And that's basically 20, or 50 chapters right there. Now you're all Bible scholars. But in chapter number 1, we're going to zoom in and look at verse number 26. It says, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible." And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her, and Mary arose in those days, and went into the hill country with haste, into a city of Judah, and entered into the house of Zacharias, and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that as Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, and she spake out with a loud voice, and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, and there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed." For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. I know this is a longer passage than normal, but I want you to pay close attention to these next couple of verses. Verse 50. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Forever. Quite a lot just happened. 
And we could spend weeks in a series just on this one passage. But I believe it all fits together. And by God's grace, we'll see what Luke was getting across right here at the very beginning before Jesus is even on the scene. Because God was already mightily at work. Mightily at work. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for tonight. Lord, I thank you for the Wooden Valley Baptist Church and for the people here who have been <coughs> faithful, who have stood the test of time, Lord, and they continue to put you first, Lord, and you have blessed them for that. Father, I pray tonight that you would help us, Lord, please remove us from all distraction. Lord, help me with uh, my mouth just to convey without being distracted what you have put here in your word. Father, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit and with all my own inadequacies, Lord, that you would work through me despite that. And I ask you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. <clears throat> I'm going to begin a phrase, and then I want you to complete it, okay? Everybody with me so far? I didn't lose anybody, right? I'm going to begin a phrase. I want you to complete it. The best laid plans of mice and men. How many in here has never heard that phrase, the best laid plans of mice and men? Okay, wow. Bothell is much more cultured than Seattle. I, I preached, Brother Alex, you were there. Last week, whenever I preached this passage, I said, the best laid plans of mice and men, the entire church, what? <laughs> what is that? It's a very common expression, a very common expression. The best laid plans of mice and men. There's probably, probably everyone in here, maybe at some point, you've, either, you've obviously heard it, but you've probably used it at some point whenever things kind of fell apart. Whenever you had an agenda, you had a, a goal, an objective, you had a plan that was laid out, and then things completely crumbled underneath you, well, the phrase goes, the best laid plans of mice and men. I did a little bit of research, uh, not a whole lot, but I did a little bit of research into where this whole uh, idea, best laid plans of mice and men, actually started. If you go all the way back to the year 1785, a long time ago, in the, in the nation of Scotland, there was a man who was out plowing his field, just a Scottish farmer, and the weird thing about it was he was actually plowing in fall. It was very late fall, early winter, and it's, which is not the time you normally go out and plow, but he was doing it for whatever reason this certain crop demanded that. And uh, this Scottish farmer, as he was plowing, as he was going through the fields, he noticed, because back in those days they didn't have these huge columbines where you're doing 20, 30, 40 rows at once, it was one row, one horse, he went over a mouse's nest with his plow, with his plow, and he saw that. It actually, he, as it was going through, he noticed that he destroyed this mouse's house in one second. And it moved him so much that in, right there on the spot, as the story goes, with plow still in hand, he took a pen, he took a, a parcel or something, and he uh, commenced to writing a very, very long poem about the best laid, at that time it was called Schemes, the best laid schemes of mice and men. You can go, you can look it up, it's, it's an it's interesting read, and they actually translate it into English, <laughs> even though Scottish is English, it was very different time, very different writing, but as you read it, you can hear in this, in this man's voice, you would think the entire world had just crumbled. 
He was so broken. He was so moved at the fact that he destroyed this mouse's house. And, and here's what he talked about. He said, oh, little mouse, you put all this work, you put all this effort, you collected materials, you gathered, you gathered straw, you gathered all the things that you need for this house, and then you put labor, you worked hard, you, you, you put all the effort that was required into building this house, and in one second, it was completely destroyed. Destroyed. Because you know that horse and that plow, it had no effort destroying that mouse's house. As he wrote it, he began to ponder and he began to think, you know, is that not the case with us? Do we not make plans? Do we not go out and toil and, and, and get agendas together and make a, a goal in mind and work towards that goal? All in the end for it all to be destroyed at what seemingly took no effort, no effort. And so as he wrote, he began to think and think and ponder. He said, the best laid plans of mice and men, it all comes to nothing. It can all come to nothing. <clears throat> I think we've all been there. I think we've all been at a place where we were planning on something and it all got destroyed. It's not necessarily a huge life thing. You've been at the airport and then your flights got canceled. Just back in January, there's some uh, brothers and sisters here from Texas. I was coming home from Texas to Seattle in January and got delayed by tornadoes. In January, <laughs> January, because that, that can happen. So you get rerouted. You get rerouted. But what about some bigger things? You lose a job. You get sick. Some big things can happen that plans that were in motion all of a sudden stop, and it completely falls apart. Well, the best laid plans of mice and men, of mice and men. <clears throat> I think Mary... And Elizabeth had a little bit of a taste of that. You see, in, in Luke chapter number one, <coughs> here's what Luke's doing. Luke, uh, as he's beginning the gospel, and he's about to show the life of Christ, he begins like none of the other gospels did, and he went all the way back to the very, very beginning. In fact, before Jesus was even born, he talked about the birth of John and the birth of Jesus. And if you read Luke chapter number one, it's a long chapter, 80 verses, but there's two parallel stories that go side by side. And it starts off with Zacharias. It starts off with Zacharias in the temple. Now, we preached this at Emerald City Baptist Church, so they had the advantage of knowing this. But real quick, just to give the, the context and the setting. Back at the beginning of the chapter, Zacharias is a, a priest who is acting in the office of burning the incense. So I did some research. And you know what I, I never realized before I came and studied to preach this? was this was a very, very high point for the man Zacharias. Uh, the Bible says that he was faithful, that he was righteous, that he was in all points righteous in the law, meaning his life was devoted to God. He was a, he was a Levite. He, his life was devoted in service to God. But not just that, in all the private areas, he was devoted to God. He and Elizabeth both, they were both faithful. They, they, they kept the course. But they had this big cloud over them their entire life that had the word childless. On top, because any couple would naturally desire to have a child, but in that day and time in Israel culture, to not have a kid was not just a disappointment, it was almost a shame. Almost a shame that these two people who were faithful their entire life and served God never had a child, but he remained faithful. And in, his, in this later point of his life, Zacharias is now an old man, and he's serving in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital. It was where everything was happening. And, and on a certain day, if you go back and read the beginning of the chapter, it says that they cast lots, and the lot came to Zacharias to go in and to burn incense. That was a very big deal, because there's somewhere between the 
field of 50 to 80,000 priests. And so the odds are you're only going to burn incense once in your entire life. Just once. So, I mean, whenever I was growing up, you hear this. It's kind of like this routine, like well, Zacharias was serving. It's like we walk into church every single Sunday, Sunday in, Sunday out. We go to choir practice over and over and over again. That's not what's happening here. This, he's been serving God his entire life, and this one moment is what he has been working up to. And he goes into the temple to serve God, to burn incense. And then Gabriel comes to him and says, wait, Zacharias, your prayer has been heard. You're going to have a son. And this was a huge deal, not just for him, but for the whole nation of Israel, because Gabriel said he's going to be the forerunner. He's going to go before the Messiah who is going to come, and that's a big deal. That's a big deal. So Zacharias, at the high point of his life, in the capital of the nation, was blown away. Was blown away. You compare that with Mary, and look at the difference here. You have a man of God who is at the high point of his life, and then you have Mary. A maiden, just a simple young girl, probably a teenager, who is about to get married. And she was from a city called Nazareth, which means, okay, if we were to give that in like today's terms and reference, it'd be like Seattle and North Bend, or like Seattle and, and Monroe, something like that. So, you know, there was where everything was happening and where nothing was happening, right? <laughs> just to give you an illustration. All right, so out there where there's nothing happening, this young girl named Mary, who is not really busy doing anything, has the angel Gabriel come to her and say, Hey, Mary, things are about to change. About to change. And then it, it says up here, uh, if we go back to verse number, uh, look back at verse number 27. Uh, sorry, 28. And the angel came into her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed be thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, meaning she went, Ah! <laughs> the, the angel Gabriel just showed up. The, the, the nation of Israel hasn't had a, an angel or a prophet or anybody come and speak to them for 400 years. And now to have an angel, an angel of God, show up and to say, Hail, thou that art highly favored. Listen, Mary, you're about to have a son. About to have a son. We t I mean, listen, we talk about your flights being canceled, your plans being changed at the airport. Imagine... You're just going about your business, and an angel shows up and says, Hey, you're going to have a baby. <laughs> well, <laughs> major change, major change. Listen, she, you cannot imagine for one second that Mary, as a young girl, listen, it, the Bible doesn't emphasize this, but it, it, it's, it's there. She was, she was young. She was a spouse to Joseph. She was about to get married. She's a young girl. Her whole life is in front of her. Her whole life is ahead. You know she was making wedding plans. You know that she was planning, this is the kind of house that I'm going to have. This is the kind of life that I'm going to live. And it was going that way. It was already in motion already in motion, and then to have an angel come and say, hey, everything you planned is about to change, because you're about to have a son. <clears throat> the best laid plans of mice and men, her world completely changed in one second, in one second. Now, again, we don't have, we don't have, oh, I wish I had all night to go into all the details. There's so much here in this chapter, but what the angel says is, hey, you're going to have a son. He's going to be the Messiah. He's going to be the one who's going to come in, and he's going to be the one who is going to lead the nation. In fact, I, I do need to point this out. Uh, jump down to verse number 32. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. Now look up here. Israel has been looking for this for hundreds of years. They have been, listen, a long, long time ago, they kept 
thumbing their nose at God. They kept rejecting God. And God said, okay, you don't want me? I will give you over to a foreign nation. And then they went to Babylon and Persia. And then it continued over and over and over until finally, now here we find them. They're in the Roman Empire. And the beginning of Luke chapter number one said, in the days of Herod, a man who was a wicked despot of a ruler, the nation of Israel is under bondage. They're under a foreign leader. So for an angel to show up and to say, hey, you're going to bear the son who is going to be uh, the, the, the king, the one who is going to take over the throne of his father, David. Whoa. They were looking for this. They were hoping for this. They were praying for this. They were holding on, despite what everything else around them looked like. They were holding on that this will happen. Big deal. Big deal. And, and someone might raise the question, wait, Mary wasn't of the lineage of David. She was more in the, in the Levite tribe. But look at this. God knew what he was doing. He, Mary was already a spouse to Joseph, which uh, the way engagement work is kind of different than it is today in America. If you're a spouse to someone, it's like you're married legally, but you're not really married yet. You're a spouse for one year. So during that time, during this espousal one-year period, for if Mary were to have a baby, then legally it belongs to Joseph, who is of the lineage of David. If he accepts the baby, then it's completely legal. It's the way it worked. Basically, okay, basically all it's showing is God knew what he was doing. All of this didn't just happen randomly. Randomly. So the angel Gabriel comes to her, and she says, uh, Mary, as she responds, look at verse number 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Now, we need to pause here and look at this. Because earlier in the chapter, Zacharias was just approached and said, Hey, Elizabeth's going to have a baby. And he had kind of the same response. It's like, what, How is this going to happen? I'm old. My wife is old. And then he asked for a sign. He said, How shall this thing be? He was doubting what the angel said. Now, in this case, it's not that way. Mary didn't ask for a sign. Mary didn't say, prove it. I don't believe you. Show me that this is going to happen. Listen, Mary was not that way. She openly, the way, the way this is written is it says that she openly accepted it. She believed it. But then she stood back and said, okay, I'll have a baby. How shall this be? How, how is this going to happen? Because she had not known a man. Uh, I, I read a commentator, commentator and he, he basically just pointed out, he said, Mary knew how biology worked. She knew that in order for you to have a, a, a child, a son, it takes a man and a woman. Well, in this equation, there was only half of that. So she said, how is this, okay, how is this going to happen? It wasn't a question of doubting that it would happen, but it was more like, okay, in the process, how is this going to move forward? You know, there's kind of a difference between how and how. I hope that makes, it makes sense in my mind. Whenever I practiced that this afternoon, it didn't work either. <laughs> but there's a difference between how and how. So when Mary asked this question, simply she was asking, well, okay, the laws of nature say that this can't be. So the angel responded in verse number 35 and said, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now, there's, <coughs> we, uh, there, there, there's so much that goes in here. People have studied it out. But really what the angel said was very simple. 
He said, Mary, the Holy Ghost is going to come and overshadow thee. That, that, that idea of overshadow is the same thing that's going to happen in a couple of chapters. Whenever uh, uh, the, the, the disciples are with Jesus in the Mount Transfiguration, and the Holy Spirit came and overshadowed them. Basically what it's showing is this. The power of God is going to come and do what cannot be done by man. And then it gives two of the most important uh, attributes to Jesus. At the end of the verse, it says, This holy thing shall be called the Son of God. Meaning when Jesus came into this world, he was two things. He was the Son of God, and he was holy. And this came about by the Holy Ghost, who was doing the work. Doing the work. And then the next verse, verse 36, uh, he points out, the angel Gabriel points out, and by the way, at the same time, your cousin Elizabeth because she knew Elizabeth. She knew that Elizabeth's not a young chicken anymore. She's not spring chicken. <laughs> She's an old lady. The ga- angel Gabriel said, hey, by the way, your cousin, Elizabeth, she's going to have a baby. Why? Look at verse number 37. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Nothing shall be impossible. Now, I, I haven't looked at my notes, but in verse number, uh, I, I'm sorry, there was a commentator that said this quote, and I wanted to read this for you. The laws of nature are not chains which the divine legislator has laid upon himself. They are threads which he holds at his will and which he shortens or lengthens at his will. Did you catch that? Meaning whenever God created everything, he put laws of nature into place. Meaning a man and woman shall conceive and bear children. But whenever God put these laws into place, they weren't chains that bound him to where he has to work within these laws. Listen, they are threads that he, as the creator, as the authority, as the master, can lengthen and shorten at his will. So if he wants to say, you know what, there's going to be a baby outside of the laws of nature, he can do that because he's God. In fact, and even if you go all the way back to the very, very beginning, there was a pile of dirt, and God assembled it together, and he blew into its nostrils the breath of life, and he created Adam. And so just like the Holy Spirit and God back then created life, he can now bring Jesus into this world. And what Gabriel is saying is, Mary, you don't have to figure it out. You just have to trust that the Holy Spirit, God, is going to come, and he is going to make it happen. He's going to make it happen. For with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. So in the next couple of verses, what Mary does is it says she went uh, she went to Elizabeth's house, and it says in haste. I don't have that right in front of me, but it says she went in haste. So basically, she's responding, and right away she gets on her donkey and she or something, and she runs. She runs to Elizabeth's house, and as soon as she gets to Elizabeth's house, it, sal- it says that she gave her salutation. Elizabeth's in there, and she's cooking. She's doing something. She's an older lady now with a, with a much bigger belly. And I'm sure there's a lot of thoughts going on. There's a lot of confusion in place. But then Mary says, hey, it says salutation. So in my mind, that's howdy. <laughs> hey, Elizabeth, how's it going? And then lo- look at this. At the, as, soon as, as soon as the voice was heard, look at verse number 41. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. Okay. I have no experience in this field. <laughs> Except whenever my I was the oldest. So whenever I was eight years old, my mom had her last. She had four kids in like eight years. So by the time I was eight, I was old enough to know that 
mom's sitting there, and then all of a sudden what was just sitting there, there's a big lump, and it starts moving around, and I was like, what is that? <laughs> she, and then mom, she gave the weirdest answer. She's like, I don't know, it could be an elbow, it could be a foot, it could be a hand. I was like, that's so weird. That's so weird that that happens. And then a mother's in here, you're like, oh, I, only if you could feel it. I cannot imagine. But Mary comes in and she says, howdy, Elizabeth, how's it going? And it says, the babe leaped in her womb. John said, Jesus. Elizabeth, this old lady with a big belly, and she's like, I can't take this anymore. There's so many weird things happening. But the babe leaped in her womb for joy. And then what does it say right after that? Uh, it, it says in verse number 42, verse number 42, and she spake out, I'm sorry, go back to the very end, verse 41, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. So Here's what you have to understand. If she was filled with the Holy Ghost, then what is said afterwards is the Holy Ghost speaking through, through Elizabeth. And here's what it says. It says, and she spake out with a loud voice, 42, and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Pause. How did Elizabeth know that Mary was pregnant? Nobody told her. Mary just found out. She didn't send a text. It wasn't on Facebook with the cannons and you know, stuff. People weren't doing gender reveals back then. So she's like, oh, I saw on Facebook. It's a boy. But nothing like that. She walked in, and here's what happened. The Holy Ghost filled Elizabeth. And you know what this is? This is a, a sign Mary never asked for. For the Holy Ghost to say, hey, Mary, what Gabriel said is going to happen is happening. The mother of my Lord. You know that's how the Holy Ghost works? Is the Holy Ghost role to, oh, uh, totally different sermon. But whenever you see churches and you see ministries and you see stuff on TV that's saying, whoa, the Holy Ghost is at work and everybody's falling back and they're, and, and they're being healed and they're saying weird stuff with their mouth. And then the, the preacher comes over and whooshes his hand and everybody falls over and say, whoa, the Holy Ghost is in this place. That's not how the Holy Ghost works. And, and in fact, oh man, you can go to the book of John. You go to John and how Jesus said the comforter is going to come and the comforter's role is this. The Holy Spirit's job is this. In 2019, to amplify and to show that that word is truth. And so you know how the Holy Ghost is at work in, in Wooden Valley Baptist Church whenever the preacher stands up and says, thus saith the Lord, and then there's something in your heart that says, wow, that is true, that is right, that is correct. You know what that is? That's the Holy Ghost. And he takes this word and he amplifies it and says, this is truth. The Holy Spirit doesn't come and distract and, and, and take away from the Word of God. So if somebody comes in and says, oh, well, the Holy Spirit made me run around the church. No, he didn't. Because <laughs> that's distracting. That's distracting. I was talking to a lady this morning at the church. I didn't come in for service, but we were talking. And she grew up Seventh-day Adventist. And she, even, even her, she understood something's weird about this talking in tongues thing. I don't get it. I was like, you don't get it because it doesn't make sense. That's not how the, the, that's not how the Holy Spirit works and here in Mary's life, God said, hey, Mary, something is going to happen. And then the Holy Ghost came in right here and confirmed, hey, Mary, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. So the Holy Ghost confirmed what was, what was going on. 
And then Mary gives this response. Look at verse number 46. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit rejoiced in God my Savior. Mary said, I don't, <laughs> I don't understand. I don't know what's happening, but I'm glad to be a part. My soul rejoiced in God my Savior. And then it's really interesting. As, as, the, as the text concludes, Mary gives what almost sounds like, if you were to just open up your Bible and begin reading, verse 52, He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. It almost sounds like a psalm, right? Like you went back to the Old Testament, the book of, book of Psalms, and you're reading. Well, that's exactly what it was. She gave a song of praise. A song of praise. But notice, for the first time in this passage, the tone kind of becomes almost, almost negative. And look, here's why. Look at verse number 52. 51. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent away empty. Hey, listen, where, where, where did this come from? Mary started uh, saying, listen, I rejoice, I'm happy about what God is doing in my life. And then he said, those who are proud, those who are lifted up, he said, he hath cast down, he hath scattered the proud. Those who were empty, he has filled. Those who were hungry, he's satisfied. And now all of a sudden, those who were not submitted, they get treated in a different way. They get treated in a different way. Listen, this whole account points to this fact. Why did God come in and work in Mary's life? Go back to the very beginning. In verse number uh, 30, it says, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Thou hast found favor with God. And now, the Catholics have taken this, and how Mary even said, I, I, I am blessed. Generations after shall call me blessed. And they have raised Mary to this point of almost putting her as equal with God and say she is blessed. But listen, that's never what was intended. It's never what was intended. Mary, in verse number 38, said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Mary said, if God wants to use me, here I am. That's why whenever it said the handmaid of the Lord, she used that word very, very intentionally. It was on purpose. Handmaid was th the same way of basically saying, here is a bond servant. Here is someone who is giving up their rights and saying, whatever you have for me, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. God could work in Mary's life because she was humble and she was submitted to it. She was submitted. That's why he could come in and do the impossible, not just for a young lady, not just for a family, but for an entire nation and for an entire human, human race to where 2,000 years later, listen, look up here, we are calling Mary blessed because we're talking about her tonight and saying, look what God did in a young woman. She said, they're going to be talking about this down the road because, listen, in this, in this whole text, it's not Mary doing the work. It's not Mary who is moving things forward. It's God who said, God hath favored you. God is going to make this happen. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The Holy Ghost filled Elizabeth. It's, it's God at work through the entire passage. Mary simply was in a place of being humble and being submitted. Being submitted.
You see, whenever we stop and we start to think about the best laid plans of mice and men, that always has kind of a negative context, always a, a negative tint to it, right? We had plans and they fell apart. But sometimes we have plans, we have agendas, we have an idea of how things should go, but then God can come in and in one second completely change everything. And listen, whenever that happens, the best place you can be is to say, the handmaid, the handman, <laughs> the hand person of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy will. This is so good. Because you know what Mary came to the conclusion of? Go back to verse 52. Now it'll make sense. He said, He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. Hey, you know who was of low degree? You know who was just going through life out in the middle of nowhere with no plans, with no agenda of God coming in and changing things? It was a young woman who was of low degree. And it says, it, it, it says uh, exalted them of low degree. God works on behalf of those who fear him. 53, he hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent away empty. You know what God's pattern, whenever he's working in lives, whenever he's working in churches, whenever he's working in families, in units, in couples, in, in whatever you want to label it as, if people go about life with their own plans and their own agendas, and they are so staunch about this is what I'm going to do, don't you dare try to change it, Mary said, listen, God can cast that down. And it's as easy as a plow and a horse going over a brat's nest. The best laid plans of mice and men. Mary said, those who are proud, the Lord scatters them. You know, as the Lord had it, just, this was so cool to me. I preached this, not today, a week ago, a week ago, at Emerald City Baptist Church. Just in the course of reading my Bible and my devotions, that same day I read the book of Esther. There, can you think of a story that plays this out more than Esther? Um, a, a man who was in a position of authority, a man who was in a position of power, his name was, help me, starts with an H, Haman, thank you. <laughs> Haman was in a place of being in authority and power, but there was one thing that was driving him bonkers, and that was there was a man named Mordecai who refused to bow whenever he came by. And so this, this anger and this passion drove him to the point of saying, I'm not just going to knock out Mordecai, I'm going to knock out his entire race. And as, as the man who was in a, a position of authority and power began to move forward, there was a woman of low degree, a woman by the name of Esther, who was the uh, cousin of Mordecai, who was raised in his house, and then God began to put her into a position of influence and of authority. And guess what? She didn't ask for that, but God began working. To the point where she was in a place of being able to influence the king and ultimately deliver his people. But you know what Mordecai, uh, you know what Mordecai told Elizabeth? He said, hey, Elizabeth, listen. If you act right now, God can work through you. But if you don't, if you decide to save yourself, listen, God will work in another way. God will save and redeem his people, but you won't be saved. And what ended up happening through that entire story was the proud, the people that had it all together, God cast them down. And it's an, ama it's an amazing story, amazing story. And then the person who was humble, the person who was simply usable and available to God, was exalted and used in a mighty, mighty way.
And listen, there's not one person under the sound of my voice tonight in this entire audience that does not have plans and agendas and something you're moving forward on. Now listen, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. You, know, you, you ought to have hopes and have dreams. And what, be, what other time of year than at graduation? I'm thinking about my class who uh, I, I taught three years ago, and now they're graduating Friday night. Listen, they have hopes, they have excitement, they have, they have, they have uh, the whole world in front of them, literally. But the most dangerous thing you can do is take those plans and say, God, don't touch this. This is mine. But it's not just limited to teenagers. Listen, it's not just limited to people who are at the beginning of their life and setting out. Listen, you can be an adult. You could be, you could be all the way up into like Zacharias and Elizabeth age. And, and things have gone a certain way and then you know that they're just going to end now. They're just going to kind of fizzle out or they're going to end at this certain point. But God can still come in and God still has a plan and an agenda. The worst thing you can do is say, God, don't touch this. Because you know what that's like doing? That's like having a tiny house. It's like having a tiny nest and saying, I'm safe. I'm safe. You know what God wants to do? Look back at verse number 50. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. You know what that verse shows? That the way God has worked in Mary's life is the way he always worked. God is a God, listen, my friend, God does not change. God, God, God is a God who is faithful. Now, sometimes in the course of history, the way things have worked for people have changed, but God, who is God, is holy. God does not change. And Mary said his mercy extended from generation to generation, meaning the way God worked all the way back in Abraham's day, whenever he said, Abraham, here's a covenant, here's a promise. He, he's carried that through. He gave David a promise. Listen, you're going to have a king. He's going to sit on my throne. He's carried it through. And, 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 and now in Mary's life, he's saying, listen, to those who are humble, to those who, are, who fear him, that's the word she used, to those who fear him and simply give him control, his mercy extends from generation to generation. And you know what God, some 2,000 years after Mary, is still looking for? People who fear him. People who come to him and say, hey, the handmaid of the Lord, the, the servant of the Lord, Lord, here I am. Whatever you want to do, wherever you want to take me, well, listen, wherever you want me to go to school, wherever, wherever you want me to do for a job, however you want my family to sustain, however you want my family to work, I give it to you. And you know what God said? His mercy goes from generation to generation. You know why we're starting a church in a city as crazy and whacked out as Seattle? Because there's a whole lot of people that need to see God's mercy in their life and then in their kid's life and in their kid's life and in the future because generation after generation, God's still at work. God, God, God still wants to come in and he wants to change a people. He wants to take a nation, he wants to take a people who are separated from him and bring them back to him, get them back in line and he says, I can do that when people that fear me submit and surrender. I said, Brother AJ, listen, I've tried that. I, 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 I've gone and I've asked God to work. And you know how he worked on Mary's life? This whole impossible thing, I haven't seen it. Listen, don't stop. Don't, don't quit. Don't throw in the towel because God didn't act right whenever you thought he should have. Listen, sometimes 
whenever God says he's going to do something and we don't see it happen right away, it's because he has a plan that's a little bit bigger than ours. He has something that's called due time. So, and, and as far as I can tell, there's only one person who knows when due time is, and that's him. How can we, in the position of the mice, say, God, you better work right now. You better, I'm submitted now. Show yourself powerful. Listen, the best place you can be, the safest place you can be, is simply say, be it unto me according to thy word. Listen, Wind Valley Baptist Church, surrender. Let go and say, God, be it unto me according to thy word. According to thy word. You think Mary didn't have a little bit of fear and anxiety and what was about to happen? If Joseph doesn't go along with this, she will be an outcast. Her entire life could be destroyed. But God's hand was already at work on Joseph. Listen, and it, it comes later on. The, the angel sent back and said, Joseph, don't worry about that. God was at work. If, God, if, God, if God's going to make it happen, leave it in his hands. Because with God, nothing shall be impossible. So do we all have plans? Oh, yeah. But the best laid plans of mice and men, don't be surprised if you hold on to that and you grip it and things start falling apart. God said, the proud he cast down, the humble he exalteth. So where are you going to be? <clears throat> what position are you going to be in? You better be submitted. Father,